Revelation chapter 17, beginning in verse number 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abomination and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead was written a name, Mystery Babylon. When everybody would say Mystery Babylon. Remember that. That's our theme today. Our theme today is Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs and of Jesus, martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. Super easy to understand, right? You guys got it? Well, the, what does it say? What does the next title in your Bible there say? The meaning of the woman who rides a beast. So now he's going to tell us exactly what it means. Don't worry. Look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery. Everybody say mystery. Of the woman and the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. And I saw the beast that, or I'm sorry, the beast that you saw was, was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. From the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, there is the mind which has wisdom. Seven, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, and one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour, that's a short time, as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. And these will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Somebody say hallelujah. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That's us if you're a follower of Christ. And then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlots are, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw of the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Thank you for the encouragement, Pastor. You're welcome. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman who you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Everybody say great city. And what great city is that? Usually it's Jerusalem. In our context here, it's, it's Babylon. Jerusalem is mentioned as a city more times in the Bible than any other city. Um, only, and then Babylon is number two. Babylon is mentioned in your Bible more times than any other city except for Jerusalem. And so um, that's all clear, right? That chapter is just, you got it, right? You guys, we all go home. We read it. It all makes sense. It's super clear. Um, you know, if you're new here, or if you just showed up, I feel for you a little bit today because it's hard to drop in right in the middle of Revelation. 
Now, Revelation 6 through 19, it deals with a seven-year period of human history called what? The Great Tribulation. And the book of Revelation is not? One more time, everybody. The book of Revelation is not? A hard book to understand. If you keep it within the divine outline, the timetable that God lays out in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. And where we currently find ourselves is in the seven-year tribulation period towards the end. And so we're coming to the final culmination. Now, 15 and 16 are in chronological order. In the book of Revelation, um, during this seven-year period of God's wrath being poured out upon a Christ-rejecting world, God uses three different um, judgments in groups of seven, three different groups of seven. First, we had the seal judgments. And the seal judgments begin in Revelation 6 with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. After the four horsemen of the apocalypse ride and God's judgment is poured out on planet Earth at the very beginning of the seven-year tribulation, one-third of the Earth's population is killed during that time. And then, and then we have the trumpet judgments are next. And God sends seven angels with trumpets. And every time they blow the trumpet, another disaster, cataclysmic event takes place on planet Earth. And then after the trumpet judgments, we have the bowl judgments. And that's where we are now. In 15 and 16, we were studying. God was giving the angels the bowls. And we had this very, one of the most darkest, ominous scenes in the book of Revelation that we studied in 15 as these bowl judgments are being poured out upon planet Earth. And now we're coming to this, this pause between the, the bowls, um, the sixth and seventh bowl, and we get this chapter 17 and 18, so it goes 15, 16, 19, with 17 and 18 kind of wrapped in the middle. Now, what's happening here is that God is going to destroy, or he's finally, for all of human history, going to destroy this thing called the Babylonian religious system. It's just called in your Bibles Babylon or Babylonian system. It's this woman who rides the beast, who represents this false religious system. Now, again, just reading 17 or just dropping in in the middle, 17 would seem like, wow, how could you understand that? Do you remember in chapter 1, and I've said this through our study in Revelation, that the Revelation, as far as I know, is the only book in the Bible that, that promises you a special blessing just for reading it. And so... I had someone challenge me on that recently because I keep saying that. And they said, you really think that's what it, that it, it, there's a special blessing in your life just for reading the book of Revelation? And we went to the verse and I'm like, yeah, it's, a, it's just a simple, it's simple to me. That's what it says, that there's a blessing. But part of the blessing is first, I think first is that God doesn't want us to be afraid of the book of Revelation. He wants us to read it and to study it. And he gives us a divine outline in it. And then the second thing is, what the blessing comes from this, in order to understand what's going on through the book of Revelation, you have to have take pieces from 65 other books in the Bible. In order to understand what's going on here, we're going to have to go to Genesis and, and Daniel and other places. And so it's kind of inferred that um, as you study Revelation, that you take into account the entire counsel of God's word to put it all together. And it's the last book of the Bible. So, so fittingly, you've, you've got the 65 um, other books in the Bible covered, and then you get to Revelation, and you need the knowledge that comes with those 65 to understand this one. And in that, there's a great blessing. And so we come to this final destruction at the end of the Great Tribulation, and in chapter 17, God is going to deal with or destroy finally um, the Babylonian religious system. In chapter 18, he's going to destroy the commercial or economic system of the Antichrist. In chapter, um, in the end of 19, we're going to get the Battle of Armageddon, and that's the final end of the seven years. So we are right there. 
going to destroy the religious system in 17, the economic system in 18, financial system, commercial system in 18, in 19, the battle of Armageddon, in 20, a thousand year reign of Christ, in 21 and 22, heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, and then we all live happily ever after. Okay, book of Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Now, in order to understand what this is talking about, um, we're going to go to Genesis 10, but let's just kind of go back to verse number one. Now, actually, I, I, I'm sorry. Um, the Bible is a, a tale of two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. One represents the gospel and one represents the false religious system of Satan. Now, everything that I'm going to cover today, it, it goes back to this one premise that I want to communicate today. And if you can get this, I think you can kind of follow where we're going to go through this study in Revelation 17. Um, Jesus said, broad is the road. Everybody say broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. Very good. I was going to say salvation, but you guys actually read your Bibles and you know it. Eternal life. So this broad road that Satan has built, it's a highway. And anybody on that highway, they're not going, their names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're not going to heaven. Jesus was very clear. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. Those are strong words. There's no gray area. Jesus cannot just be um, a, a good prophet, a teacher, a, a somebody in history, or, you know, he, he, you're either for him or you're against him. There's no gray area. It's one or the other, two roads. You're on the narrow road, And in the narrow road, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And everybody loves to quote that verse in in Hollywood and in the media. They're not afraid of the verse that says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But they stop there always, and they don't quote the end of it. Because the rest of it says, and no man comes to the Father except through me. And so that's a narrow road. And for that reason, we we as Christians sometimes get labeled as narrow and narrow-minded. And, you know, I had somebody tell me one time, um, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a great wall and, and, and someone's going to go to God and say, God, what, there's a big, huge wall in heaven. And what's on the other side of that wall? And God's going to say, oh, that's the Christians. They think they're the only ones here. Well, I'm sorry for that story and that person, but Jesus was pretty clear that there's two roads. Now, the, the other road, the broad road that, that Satan creates and has been creating since Genesis 11, where we're about to go. What, what, what is on the broad road that Satan created? I mean, what are, what are the lanes in the highway? What are the religions or what are the things? Are they specific things? Or is there a certain lane that Satan has to get you in on his highway to end up in destruction? No, right? All he has to do is what? Keep you off of the narrow road. That's, that's, so, so Satan, what he's done. So picture a V. And the V starts, that's Satan's highway, this V. And it's going to start in, it's going to start in Genesis chapter 10. And throughout history, what's going to happen is Satan is just going to continue to add lanes. You know that um, different religions, study, study your different religions of the world. And you'll find that some of them, you know, started in the 600s, some of them in the 1800s, some of them in BC. But at some point in history, Satan is adding lanes because it doesn't matter how many lanes he has on his highway as long as he keeps you off the narrow road. And, and then what, what has happened through history? Nowadays, I get people asking me this question. It's an honest question. It's a good question. And they say, there are so many things to believe, Pastor Chris. How do we know who to believe? How do we know what you're saying is true? 
I could go to church over here down the street and they'll tell me something opposite of what you're telling me. Next week I go to another church down the street and they'll tell me something opposite. How can I know what's true? But listen, I'll tell you, that has been the effective strategy of Satan since the Tower of Babel and Nimrod to broaden the roads and, and create confusion. And it's worked and it's successful. But I will encourage you with this. Jesus said, if you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. And so if you're honestly seeking the lane, the narrow lane that leads to Jesus, and you really sincerely with your heart, regardless of what you believe, you're crying out to God, and you're saying to God, God, I want to know truth, I want to know Jesus, I want to know, and you mean that in your heart, God says he will meet you there. God says, if you, if you knock, I stand at the door and knock, and if you open, I will come in and I will dine with you. But that means you open it fully, because the Bible is very clear that you have to seek Jesus with your whole heart. And so many times we're, we're afraid for that, that commitment. We're afraid to dive in the deep end and become a Christ follower. And maybe we'll get labeled a Jesus freak and our friends won't like us and we won't be popular. And, and we don't know if we can trust this God that, that, that he's asking us to put our lives into his hands. And, and, and Jesus will um, save you. And there's a way to know truth. And there is the whole, everything is so convoluted. This entire study that um, we're going to kind of walk through today, the world has grabbed a hold of what I want to share with you today, and they use it in the colleges, they use it in, in all kinds of realms, and, and they say the Bible is just another version of, of these myths and these stories, and therefore the Bible's not true. We, we had um, somebody that's actually close to me who came to Christ uh, here in our church, and, um, and, and, and she... she she, they, them, were having a, a hard time um, and, and had left another church where there was some deception and was vulnerable. And, um, and we were encouraging them in the word and studying the word and going through the word. And, and she eventually got a hold of somebody, turned her on to this study of all the different um, religions of the world, how they all mirror each other. And there's the same story in every civilization around the world. The Madonna and child story is, is prevalent in every religion in the world all over. And she said, and, and, and again, like, this, like, like your college professors and, and, and the world wants to tell you, they want to lump the Bible and God and Christianity into that and just make it meaningless. And she believed that that was true. And, and it affected her faith. So I think it's important that we, we know it and we understand it. Verse number one says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, if you want to know what the many waters are, he explained that in verse 15. The many harlots are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Now, the, the, the term spiritual idolatry or idolatry here is not physical idolatry, a husband or a wife cheating. It's talking about spiritual idolatry against God, going and, and whoring after other gods, false religions, idols, those kind of things. And many times in the Bible, the, the whole book of Hosea, read the book of Hosea today. Um, it's actually got a little bit of comedy in it. The, the book of Isaiah is a, pro, oh, I'm sorry, Hosea. I'll just read it real quick. I was going to skip it because I'm, I know I'm going to run out of time today. But um, Hosea chapter 1, it says, Then the Lord began to speak to Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry. Oh, thanks, Lord. Go down to the brothel and find a wife. Uh, no, thanks. And the children of harlotry, for the land committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. 
And so he went and he took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And God said to him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. And now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bore a son. And God said, call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. And so uh, God says, um, Hosea has this third child, and his name is Lo-Ra'ami, which means that's not my kid. And and so every time God says, go take her back, go take her back. And so that's the picture of spiritual idolatry and that um, the nation of Israel had gone a-whoring after other gods. And Isaiah was, or Hosea was to live a life that would show the picture of this. And so that's what's um, here in Revelation 1. In verse number 3, or I'm sorry, verse number number 2, when the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the whole earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, um, to, to keep this in context, when the Antichrist takes over in the seven-year tribulation period, he's going to have a, a, a sidekick, a right-hand man. And he is called, anybody remember? The false prophet. And the false prophet is going to oversee the religious wing of Babylon. Now, people ask all the time, when, when the Bible is talking about Babylon, as it is here, is it, is it a geographical location? Is that a city somewhere, um, or is it something else? Well, it's both. There is a geographical location of Babylon, um, um, but, but the Antichrist has multiple facets of this Babylonian system, right? He's going to have a one-world government, a one-world economy, a one-world religion, and, and, and he's going to own the military. So there's probably some others, but those are the basic four arms of the Antichrist's rule and reign. In 17, it's possible, I've never heard this said, where, where ancient Babylon or this Babel was built is in modern-day Iraq. And then the, the city later, Babylon, which Nebuchadnezzar built in the book of Daniel, recorded in the book of Daniel, um, that's years later, was on that same site. It's there in Iraq. Um, King... King Hussein um, believed himself to be Nebuchadnezzar reborn. I think he forgot the part about him eating grass like an ox and his nails growing over his head. And he, he, he fancied himself the modern day Nebuchadnezzar. And he was wanting to rebuild the historical site of, of Babylon. But today it's, it hasn't moved very fast and it's, there's not much going on there. Um, it's about 50 miles um, south of, of uh, Baghdad and it's there. So, so for it to be the physical location um, doesn't really, you know, but maybe in the, there, there are some locations. And I think maybe it could even be in two separate locations where the religious system is um, being held and the false prophet functions out of. And then we have, again, as the Antichrist is ruling the world, we have the economic and the commercial and the military wing of the Antichrist rule. And maybe that's in another location where there are actually kind of two separate locations. Because when we get to chapter 18 and we see the Antichrist is going to destroy commercial Babylon, there, there has to be for that some kind of physical location. And it says that it's near a seaport. So wherever it is, it has to be around water. Um, you know, Dubai is a, is a great um, possibility. Uh, I remember before everybody thought New York City because that was the financial capital. But now Dubai could, could be used by the Antichrist to set up his financial and economic system, commercial system um, there in Dubai. But so the, the, this Babylonian system... 
um, again, I'm going to stick to 17 where we're focusing on the religious wing of it. And then in verse number three, it says, And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. Anybody remember who the beast is? It's always the Antichrist. The scarlet beast, which was full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Um, so the, the woman who rides the beast. The woman who rides the beast, very simply, is the religious system, the one religion set up by the Antichrist through the false prophet that is prevailing on planet Earth. Now, as we've been studying our Bibles, you know, 30 years ago, we, we would try to identify what religion would the Antichrist use and the false prophet in the end times. And, and there's other people have taken stabs at it and taken guesses. And, you know, Islam is, is the largest religion besides Christianity in the world. The Roman Catholic Church um, dominated the world for so many years, thousands of years, um, 1,500 years that um, that was a possibility. But I, I think today as we just, you know, we continue to get more information, right? Early in the morning as the sun is just starting to come up, you don't see as well. But by noon, you can see much clearer. And as, as we get more information, we can see a lot clearer um, things. And I think today when, when the church is raptured and the Antichrist and the false prophet are trying to gather the world together under one religious system, I'm pretty sure that it's going to just include everybody. There's going to be some kind of morph where it doesn't have to just be one particular system. I believe that no matter where you land, you will fit well into this. I think it's going to be like, you know, the coexistence sticker. Yeah, um, there's um, in Abu Dhabi right now, the, the Vatican is building a um, Chrislam church and it's um, called the World Church. It's actually brick and mortar. It's, it's like in its finishing stages of construction. It's built in a triangle with three different wings. There's a wing for um, Islam, Judaism and Christianity. And the, the Pope is actually in the Vatican. The Holy Roman Catholic Church is building this um, you can look it up. I have some pictures too. If I could find, maybe Brian can find one of those pictures of that while I'm talking. But that that is being built, and so in this particular system that's being built in Abu Dhabi, um, it will it will include, and it's meant to include all kinds of um, religion. We call it ecumenicalism, where they where we all you know all roads lead to God, and so I think the the system will include all roads. And then it says enter fornication. Or sorry, verse 5, and on her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great. Everybody say mystery. Hey, turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 10. Let's figure out what is this um, mystery Babylonian religion. Now, whenever the Bible says it's a mystery, it's a mystery for a time until it is revealed. And as the sun goes up on your day and you can see clearer, as we get closer and closer to the return of Christ, we can see things much clearer. And this particular Babylonian um, religion, it, it is revealed today. And we see where it had its roots and what it is. Now, remember I told you that broad road that Satan has created, um, it's in the shape of what? Of a V. We, we described it as a V. It's narrow in the beginning and gets broader. But what we're going to find is, is through this. And, and some of this is not necessarily Bible, you guys. Some of this is legend and myth. And so, like I said, once we, the Bible part is, is concrete. But when I get into the myth and the legend part of it, I don't know if all the details are right because everybody tells the story a wee bit different. So in chapter 10 of Genesis, are you guys there with me? Let me draw your attention to verse number 8. 
And I told you guys I was going to show a video today detailing this. Um, I've been saying that for a couple of weeks that, that when I got to this study, I would just show a video that would explain it. But, you know, there, there's, there's several different options, and I, I couldn't really agree with everything that anybody said. And I didn't want to put something out there that, you know, where we had to chew the meat, spit out the bones, and, and then, you know, get it, get it twisted that, you know, we we're believing something was on the video that wasn't there. So anyways, you can watch them, though. There, there's a couple good videos, informational videos out there. Um, Damien sent me one that I really like. It's called The History of Religion, Part 1. So write that down on YouTube, History of Religion, Part 1. And then the other um, videos that I think are done well um, is by the Fuel Project, and they're called Know Your Enemy, K-N-O-W, Know Your Enemy, and there's 77 parts to that one, and it goes a long way. Um, and again, with, with all these videos, you've got to eat the meat and spit out the bones, okay? Because we don't, you know, but, but, but it's informational stuff that will explain what I'm going to go through right now. Verse number 8 says, Cush begat, everybody say the name with me, Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty hunter on the earth. Now, when it says he began, that's the Bible telling you that this is the first of its kind. This is the first organized religion in the world. Do you ever have anybody tell you, I hate organized religion. Organized religion is guilty for every war and atrocity the world has ever seen. I'm like, you're right. I hate organized religion too. They're like, what? You do? I'm like, yeah, God hates religion. This, this here in Genesis 8 is organized religion, but that's not us. That's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, we're, we're about relationship and intimacy with Jesus. We're Christ followers. We're not religious. We don't please God by our works. Religion is man trying to reach up to God. Relationship is God reaching down to man. And so we're responding to God's great love. And we behave because, because God loves us. We don't behave so that God will love us. And there's a huge difference in those two things. Amen? Amen. So this is the beginning, it says there in verse number 8. He began. So he's the first ruler. He's the first one to organize and gather people together under one roof of organized religion. Now, this is we're only in Genesis 10 here, right? So this is post-flood. This is right after the flood of Noah. The population is beginning to grow. These are the, the, the great-great-grandson of Noah, Nimrod was. And, and it says, um, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, that sounds great, right? Oh, man, that guy was a mighty hunter, especially here in Utah. You guys are like, oh, that's awesome, man. That guy, what is he like? Back in the day, did he kill elk from a thousand yards with his bow? Like he was mighty or and that's not what it's saying. He was a hunter of souls. And, and the word there where it says that he um, was before the Hebrew word translate against. He was a mighty hunter against the Lord. The other kind of facet there it was in the face of. So he's a, he's a mighty hunter in rebellion or in the face of God. And Nimrod was was um, against God and fighting God. And, and, and he was a hunter of souls. You know, you and I are hunters of souls too, right? The Bible says that we're to be fishers, fishermen and fishing of souls. And so Nimrod was exactly that, except for instead of using the term that Jesus uses, fishermen, they use the term hunter, but it's the same idea. He was a hunter of souls against the Lord. And in verse 10 it says, And at and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Everybody say Babel. Erach, Akkad, Kalnia, in the land of Shinar. Anybody know where the land of Shinar is? Modern day Iraq today. 
um, where where the um, there's something about that. That's you know, like I said, the tale of Bible is the tale of two cities, Jerusalem and um, and Babel and Babylon. And God says that Jerusalem is the city of the great King, and Jesus died there, and so much happened there. What's fascinating is all the way back to Genesis chapter 10 in the post flood um, that that Nimrod, I'm sure motivated, directed by Satan, lands in this spot of Babylon. And then moving forward, Nimrod, who's going to um, build the greatest city the world has ever seen um, with the hanging gardens and um, the, the city of Babylon in the future is on this spot here in the plains of Shinar. And then in verse 11, it says, From the land he went to Assyria, he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala. So the guy was... Um, quite successful, right? Nineveh, remember Nineveh is the place where Jonah went. And, Nineveh, and, and Jonah preached in Nineveh. Nimrod built that. And Rezin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the principal city. Mizraim begot Ludium. Anamim, Levim, Nebrim. Pathrism. You guys couldn't do any better. Don't laugh at me. No, I'm just kidding. Cash, Luhin, you know, they say just read them fast and keep moving and own it. Like, like you meant it, you know, like you knew what you were doing. That's what I should have done. From whom came the Philistines. Everybody say Philistines. You know, Philistines are the ancient um, enemy of Israel. Even to this day, the reason why they call, um, they call it Palestine, whoever named it was because of the name of the Philistines. Um, And so through Nimrod, we even have that. Now, if you move on to chapter 11, and it says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that they journeyed from the east, and they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. So do you realize that from um, the Tower of Babel, where God is going to, we'll read in a minute, confuse the languages, the people have one language and one speech. And God confused them because he's going to say that they, they can accomplish anything but from Babylon all the way to the Rosetta Stone in 1799, that, that plan of God's worked where people couldn't communicate in, in mass um, ways with other people and other nations throughout all history. They would have interpreters and people would speak multiple languages and those things, but never where everybody could just communicate. But you realize that today we are back to the function of the Tower of Babel, which God came down and judged, and it was a problem because he said the people would be able to accomplish anything that was in their sight. You know, today we, we, we've returned, and it lasted. God's plan lasted a long time, from Babylon to the Rosetta Stone, which gave the technology, and even then they didn't have it until um, later, like in the 1950s and 60s. But today, picture a UN meeting. In a UN meeting, you can picture that big table, and everybody's sitting around the table, and they have an ear set and a microphone. And it doesn't matter what language that you're speaking. One is speaking in Spanish, another in Mandarin, another in Tagalog, another in Vietnamese, another in English. And everybody is speaking their own language and hearing their own language. And so, you know, how many different translations do you have to go through in the room for a guy that's speaking in German to be heard in Vietnamese and Tagalog and Chinese and all these other languages. And everybody's just speaking their own language and hearing in their own language. With modern technology, we've returned to the days of the Tower of Babel. And in verse 3 it says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now, they weren't literally trying to reach the heaven. Whose top is in the heavens is a Hebrew idiom um, 
and it means of impressive height. There was no doubt the tallest building in the world, and it would have been very impressive in its height. It's hard to know how tall it was. I looked it up, and I saw so many different guesses and numbers at how tall the Tower of Babel was that it's meaningless to try to repeat that, but it would have been um, it would have been large and tall. And one said that it was three times the size of the Burj Khalifa, in, and Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world in Dubai. I'm like, there's no way. You know, so I didn't even try. But it, the the idea wasn't necessarily to reach the atmosphere. It was to reach the heavens where they would go and commune with God because in the Bible and, and the idea of, of meeting with God is on a mountain and Satan's fascination with the mountain and being on top of the mountain and worshiped on the mountain. And so they built basically a big mountain where they would go up and from there they could worship, they could study and observe astronomy and the stars much better. And, and this is the beginning here with the Tower of Babel of the study of astrology of the Zodiac began here in Babel. Now again, astrology is not um, sinful in its way. You know, you study astrology, you take astrology, but astrology as a religion is very sinful. Astrology, um, you know, you can study the stars, but the stars don't tell your future. The stars don't tell, you know, God's word tells your future. You have a Holy Spirit who loves you and wants nothing more than to speak into your life. You know, even the zodiac and the um, um, fortunes and and those things of the of the zodiac, they. They, they're a slap in God's face. And, and, you know, I don't flirt with them. The Bible has strict warnings in the book, in the Old Testament and New, that we're not to mess with any of that stuff. You know, you look to, even like the daily horoscopes, I don't mess with them. I don't even read them for fun. People say, oh, I just read them for fun. They're harmless. I wouldn't mess with them because God's word has some strict warnings against those things. Because here's the point. If you're going to read the, you know, like I don't even read fortune cookies. No, I'm just kidding. I read my fortune cookie. And then I say, on the toilet afterwards. Um, or something else, but we're in church. That was bad enough. But, you know, if you're going to spend time trying to find out something about your future, you know, you have a God who loves you, who died on a cross for you. He wants nothing more than to commune with you on a regular basis to share with you your future, to encourage you, to give you vision for what's coming tomorrow. He said, I have a plan for your life to give you a future and a hope. And are you also then spending time to seek him and say, God, what, what do you have for me? Lord, what do you want me to do today? God, what is, what is your plan for my life? And, and if we're unwilling, you know, to, we have to, to seek God and we're looking to these other things that the world is presenting, it, it's offensive to God. And his word says as much and, and warns us against it. But this is where all this stuff started. Um, and it says in verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Why, why were they afraid? Why were they afraid to be scattered? Kind of seems like a, like a weird fear. Let us gather together, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. Because when they came off the boat, do you remember when Noah and his family came off the boat? What was God's direction to Noah and his family? So God said, so God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and what? And fill the earth. And so it was in direct opposition to what God's plan was for the people that came post-flood. And they said, God wants us to be fruitful and fill the earth, and, and we don't want to do that. So again, we have this rebellious spirit of Nimrod, who again is a first type of the Antichrist and a, and a rebel against God. 
But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have all one language and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And again, we've returned to this kind of ability. In verse 7 it says, Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. The word Babel in your dictionary says the definition is a confused noise made by many voices. You know, it's possible, just kind of a little side note. Um, have you heard of the con- continental drift theory? I think today they call it Pangea. Um, you know, it's very possible that, that, that this happened. You know, maybe even here, some people believe as a result of the, of the flood. Because um, in your Bibles, in Genesis, in chapter 1, in verse number 9, um, let me just read it to you real quick. And this is totally parenthetical. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. So it doesn't say, it says, let all the waters be gathered in one place. So it's assumed if all the waters were in one place, that all the land then also would have to be in one place. And that um, they do kind of fit together as a puzzle as you look at it. So it's very possible that, you know, some of the things would be explained by a continental drift theory of how, you know, you get certain animals on different continents and things. And, and here at the Tower of Babel, um, Genesis, uh, answers in Genesis, Ken Ham, and um, they, they put it, if a continental drift theory happened, put it more towards the flood. But I think it would make sense right here that as God confused the languages and he spread people around, can you imagine if you were there that day? Imagine if you're there the day that God confused the languages and hopefully, maybe he did, maybe he confused the language between a husband and a wife. I don't know if that'd be a blessing or a curse, but... You know, one day you're speaking to your friend and then the next day you show up and you start talking to him and he's talking and you can't understand what he's saying and you guys are yelling at each other trying to figure it out like, what are you talking about? I can't hear you. Speak English. He's coming back at you. You're like, I am. And you can't understand what he's saying. No, I'm leaving. And then you spread out and people go all over the world and, you know, where we get all the different languages and the Bible tells those things. So here, here's, the, here's the skinny of this. From Nimrod, Nimrod was, again, the first hunter of the world. And this is the beginning of the Babylonian religious system. This was Satan's doing 100%. And the story goes that um, Nimrod uh, married a woman named Semiramis. And Semiramis was, um, she was, he found her in a brothel and she was of bad, you know, reputation. And so in order to cover that, he, he gave her the reputation and called her the queen of heaven. And, and they claimed um, between the two of them, Nimrod and her to be deity. Well, Nimrod, he comes to a timely death, untimely death, and he dies while he's young. And then Semiramis comes up pregnant. Well, she, in her position as the queen of heaven, she can't, um, you know, because of the idolatry or the um, whatever's going on, she claims that the baby that she's pregnant with is um, immaculately conceived and that Nimrod, the sun god, had shown the light of rays, the sun rays, and, and, and got her pregnant, and that the baby um, was immaculately conceived. And so her baby is named Tammuz. And she claims again that um, it's, it, she claims that he is a, 
reborn uh, Nimrod, that Nimrod is reincarnated through the baby Tammuz as the sun god reincarnated. So when you study Semiramis and, and, and Nimrod, you, you read that she was his mother. And you're like, he married his mom? But actually the, the, where she gets that title is because of this baby that she claims um, she, that to have had. And Tammuz, anybody want to take a wild guess when Tammuz was born? On December 25th. And do you guys want to take a wild guess how they would celebrate Tammuz's um, immaculate conception and his birthday? They would decorate evergreen trees and put um, LED lights on them. And then um, Tammuz... Um, two again, two opposing um, stories that you hear about Tammuz. But Tammuz dies; the son dies, and so some say that him and his mom were were battling over control of the empire that Nimrod built in Babylon or Babel. And others say he was gored by a wild boar at the age of 33. And then Semiramis, um, in order to 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 maintain control, she claimed that he was resurrected. And in order to, in order to um, celebrate the resurrection of Tammuz, what did they do? They hid Easter eggs and Easter bunnies, or, or eggs and bunnies. And this is true. This is history. They, that, that's where they do it. So you'll hear that, you know, Christmas and Easter have their pagan roots, which they do. But we're not against celebrating. We don't get into not celebrating Christmas and Easter because of those things. Because most of us don't even know that stuff exists. And we celebrate Christmas with Jesus. And we celebrate Easter because of, of Jesus' resurrection. And we do know that we're celebrating Easter on the right time. We know Jesus was not born on December 25th. Biblically, he was probably born in the fall or in the spring sometime. And so, um, but these, this is where they, they have their roots. And now every um, society moving forward has adopted and, and in mythology, this legend of Nimrod and Semiramis and Tammuz. And so the Egyptians have the same, same, and it's always a sun god, the moon goddess, and then the son of God. And this same um, triangle of, of, of deity. And then the, the Madonna and child, which every time you see pictures of Semiramis, she's pictured with the halo and the, the baby, um, the immaculately conceived baby. And so in Babylon... It was Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. In Egypt, it's Ra, Isis, and Horus. Uh, Ra is the sun god. From Egypt, we have the rise um, of the all-seeing eye. And this, this was, again, invented in Babel, in Babel with Nimrod, but probably takes its, where it got popular was with Ra and the sun god in Egypt, um, the eye of Horus. In Greece, there were Zeus and Artemis and Adonis, or Aphrodite and Cupid. In Rome, it was Jupiter and, Di- Jupiter and Diana and Apollo, or Venus and Adonis. In the Nordic um, traditions, it's Odin and Joro and Thor. In the Hindu traditions, it's Vishnu and Chandra and Krishna. In the Canaanite, or in Israel um, traditions, it's Baal, Ishtar, Ashtoreth. And so um, th- th- this is where the invention in Babylon of multi- and polytheistic worship began. And so every nation and tribe and people have these same roots of this Babylonian religion. It's Satan's religion. And what you'll find is that in every religion and every schism outside of Christ finds its origins and its roots in this Babylonian system that Satan set up through Nimrod and Semiramis. Um, do you guys think, hey, Brian, let's, let's go ahead and show that video. Do you guys think that um, 
this stuff has any relevance for today? I remember the first time I heard this stuff in church. It went right over my head because I was like, it's so irrelevant. I'm studying my Bible. What are I, Semiramis and Zimra, what, what is this? Why do I need to know this? Well, let, let, me, let me show you a video. My, my, my well, hello, friends. It's Jerry Robinson here from TrueRichesRadio.com. Just wanted to do another really brief video this morning and share with you something I just ran across. I've been doing a lot of research, as many of you know, into the origins of America, specifically the American Revolution, and specifically its connection to ancient Greece and ancient Rome, but also even to ancient Egypt and also to ancient Babylon. So this has been a passion of mine for many, many years. I've been studying it for a long time, and I like to share things that I learn along the way. And I was just on this website, the Congressional Medal of Honor Society, and the domain is cmohs.org. And you can check out this website yourself. But I wanted to show you something pretty interesting that I saw. And that specifically was the uh, medals. And in fact, if you click on the link here that says medal and go to design, you will see the different medals of honor that are awarded by different institutions here in the United States. The Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marines, and the Coast Guard. And what is interesting about these medals of honor is the fact that each one of them has a an ancient goddess associated with them. Uh, this is not uncommon, of course. We do see this a lot in the symbolism of America. A lot of the revival of the Greco-Roman goddesses are certainly, you know, that's certainly something that we see. But when you're on this page, when you click on the metal link and then you click on the design, you can go through each one of these and you can click, for example, right here on the goddess and learn more about her. And in this case, the Army Congressional Medal of Honor uh, has the goddess Minerva, who is the helmeted goddess of wisdom and war. And that's interesting, clearly. If we click on the Navy, we'll see that there's another goddess uh, here. This is, in fact, the uh, same goddess, the Roman goddess of wisdom and war, Minerva. Uh, but then when we get to the Air Force, Medal of Honor, it's really interesting. This is why I really wanted to make this quick video, was to show you this particular passage about this particular medal. And when you click on, this clearly looks like the Statue of Liberty here, when we click on it, it takes us to a little brief description that says Lady Liberty, but notice what it says. It says the Statue of Liberty is centered in the Air Force design. In addition to standing for liberty, she is derived from the imagery of Queen Semiramis of Babylon, who was famed for her beauty, strength, and wisdom. Well, I think this is very interesting because up until this point, most of the research that I have done that's on good, Brian, the Statue of good. Liberty. Um, you have the very Statue of Liberty that overlooks the, the symbol of the United States fashioned in the image of Semiramis. So just a quick point to say that this stuff is relevant. It's still here. Um, and, and, I, and I share it just so that, again, you know, I, I've experienced somebody who got taught this information, but it was fun to say that Christianity is not true because it's just another one of the stories of all the different um, religions of the world. So I think we should know it. And just know that um, this Babylonian system that God is going to destroy in 17, it's a scarlet thread. Imagine a red scarlet thread starting in Genesis 11, and run it all the way through the pages of your Bible and through history, and then pin it at chapter 17, because that's where God's going to destroy it. That broad road 
that Satan is created, that V, because he just keeps adding more lanes, is going to come to a final destruction here in Revelation 17. And then let's, let's turn to back to Revelation. And we got like four or five more minutes. We'll wrap up. Trying to decide, give me a second, what to skip, what not to skip. Um, verse 6 says, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with amazement. Now, we, we know already from Revelation that the Antichrist, the false prophet, that they make war on the church. Now, one of the things is is that they prevail. All the way through here, the, the scarlet, uh, the woman who rides the beast, this, this false religious Babylonian system that Antichrist is going to set up under the false prophet, she's drunk with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And, 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 and they're just another layer of, of evidence that the church can't be involved in the tribulation period. They're not here. They, they have to have gone up in a pre-tribulation rapture because um, the Jesus said very clearly that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what do you have prevailing against the church all the way through the book of Revelation? Um, all the way through the seven-year tribulation period, I should say. Um, you have prevailing, where Satan is prevailing. And you read different tidbits throughout it, and, and he's winning. And here we have this harlot who is drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs of Jesus. And so she's prevailing, which it can't be the church she's prevailing against. She's prevailing against um, tribulation saints. Because many will get saved in the tribulation period. And then in verse 7 it says, But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and, and the beast and carries, that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life. I think this is probably the most important thing you should learn today or remember today, right? None of that other stuff is really going to matter. But is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's an honest question. You've got to look in the mirror and ask yourself. And, and, and if you say, if your answer to this question is, I hope so, I think so, that's not a good, not a good response. It's a scary response. Your answer should be, I know so. And, and within faith in Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.8, that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from that, there is no assurance of salvation. I've been a part of a lot of different funeral services. And only born-again Christians die well because they die with the assurance of salvation. In so many other religious systems, um, inside the religious system, there's some aspect of works that, that if you're laying on a deathbed, you don't really know for sure if you did enough to earn your salvation. And, and, and you're in a position of hope so. And they don't die well. Because in Christianity, in Christ, there is an assurance of salvation. That's what separates us. You know, I, I share this often, but it's true. If we're all, if this is a big airplane and, and, and the airplane is going down fast and you have all different walks of life represented on the airplane, you better hope you're sitting next to me. Because if you're sitting next to some other religious person and you ask them, what can I do to be saved? You're not going to be able to accomplish the list before the, the plane hits the ground. But if you're sitting next to me, I'll just simply tell you Romans 10, 9, and 10. Trust and believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Or Acts 16. Even simpler. Trust of the Lord Jesus and you, and you shall be saved. 
what Paul told the Philippian jailer. The Philippian jailer had his knife, and he was about to kill himself. And Paul said, wait, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the guy said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved. And that's what we could tell people on the plane going down. But again, if you're of, of, of a different persuasion, a different religion, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that's added on. So is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And if you're not sure, it's simply just surrender your heart to the Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. Say to Jesus today, yes, I give you my life. I surrender. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I need you. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I want to know that I know that I know that I know I'm saved. And the Bible says that when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen? Amen. And then it says, um, let's have the worship team come up. You know, I'm, I'm not going to finish, you guys. I'm going to fool myself to try to go on. My wife's not going to be happy. She said, are you going to finish 17 today? I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to finish 17. Let, let's, let's have the worship team come on up close. I'm just going to stop because I'll try to rush through too much at the end. We'll pick it up, and we'll kinda, we will cover seven, the rest of 17 and 18 next week. So I'll get through the two chapters in two weeks. But... Um, In verse number two, it says, With whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So whatever is going on in this false Babylonian religious system, they're, they're drunk with the, with the sin of fornication, and they're being judged for it. The Bible says that, that the, the restrainer is going to be removed. The restrainer has to be removed before the Antichrist is revealed, it says in Thessalonians. And the restrainer is the power of the Holy Spirit working in the church. And you and I as the church, we, God uses us as a buffer and we hold back the evil in the world. We really do. God's Holy Spirit is doing that work in and through us. And, and it's a restrainer. It's called a restrainer in the Bible. When the restrainer is removed and when we enter the seven-year tribulation period, remember, and I've, I've, I've highlighted this many times, that the events of the book of Revelation are without restraint. And when evil and sin and debauchery and fornication is gone without restraint, just imagine. I mean, you know, the epidemic we have in our world today uh, within a, all, I would say, Hollywood, but it's not limited to Hollywood. It's every branch of power and influence in the world today, and it's a mass epidemic of pedophilia. In every walk of life on the upper echelon. What are all these guys doing? What are they all being accused of? What are you finding? You know, Jeffrey Epstein and his whole ring, Jelaine Maxwell, and, you know, people standing outside of her trial with pizza boxes celebrating. Disgusting. And, and just that, that, that debauchery, and the, the, the system of the, the false religious system. Now, that's bad news, but here's the good news. You guys want to give it? We won't be here. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Hey, I realized that was a lot today. Um, I, I did want to cover the whole Nimrod, Semiramis, Hamuz um, story because I do think it's important that we understand where this Babylonian religion started and, and where it takes its roots. Today, that highway that started at the Tower of Babel now has thousands of lanes that Satan can put any, anybody on in deception. But the Bible says there's one road, a narrow road that leads to salvation. And if you're not sure and you want to be on that road, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. 
If you want to come to the Father this morning, the, the, the road goes through Jesus. And that just means, you know, and we use terms that aren't necessarily really deep theological, but they are true and they make sense. So we say, ask Jesus into your heart. Is Jesus really in your heart? Yeah, actually really he is. Holy Spirit makes residence in your life. We ask Jesus to, to take over our lives. But really what salvation is, very simply, it's a full surrender of your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and it's time to get right, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you. God's Spirit has been calling you and you know that today is the day of salvation. And I want to lead you in a prayer. I want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus to come into your heart and life. So let's close our eyes and bow our head, if you will. If that's you today, I want you to raise up your hand so I can pray for you to ask Jesus in your heart. If it is, you can just put your hand up and let me know so I know who I'm praying for. Amen in the back. See you over there. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I see you there. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together as a church family. And if, if you're praying this prayer today, if you raise your hand, do me a favor. When, uh, when you leave here today, make a left and people will be in the conference room to pray for you, encourage you give you a Bible if you need one. Uh, so just head back there and, they, and, and, and let, let them uh, um, pray for you and encourage you. You can share with them that you asked Jesus in your heart today. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. I realize I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus, be my Savior. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone said, amen.